0: Hi and welcome to episode three of the Informing Choices mini-pod. Today our topic is the future of women in life, society and business and I'm totally thrilled to have with me Alex Whittington. Alex is uh, a friend, a colleague and a fellow futurist. Alex, tell us a little bit about the work that you do.
1: Hi Steve, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Great to be on your show. I am a futurist from Houston, Texas. I'm a researcher, a writer. I'm also an educator. Uh, I teach part-time at the University of Houston undergraduate courses where I talk about the futurist perspective and how futurists think and research and produce work. And I'm also um, very interested in what I call strategic social foresight. So that means the future of women, future of families, education, consumers, the home, and just a variety of issues that touch on, you know, the way that we live, and the way that we are as a human society.
0: Very interesting. Now, you, we were talking just before about uh, a project you're getting involved with around families and, and the home. Just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure, yeah, this is a really fun thing I'm doing with uh, some other futurists, sense makers, um, analysts, and people who are thinking about how life is changing, how business is changing, and uh, we're calling it MOFA. It's the Museum of the Pandemic Home Artifacts. And we're actually asking people to send in images, you know, or whatever kind of renditions, poems about their pandemic home artifacts. Some people are talking to us about the bread makers, you know, bread machines that they purchased to, to get through the pandemic. Or uh, for me, I'm going to be sending in pictures of the big stack of paper plates that I keep in the cabinet that <laughs> saves me from washing a lot of dishes while I have everyone in the home. Uh, so we're really interested in how, you know, things are changing as a result of COVID and this kind of interregnum, right, this sort of in between period between then and what's coming next um, and p- could potentially could be a long time before the next gets here. So we're interested in artifacts uh, of, what, of what the changes are, you know, the evolution of change and what, what it tells us about how life might be, you know, 10 or 15 years from now. It's a project I'm doing with a group called the Gray Swan Guild. It's a really cool group of people just interested in, in what's happening.
0: And is there a way that people can look at that work as it emerges or is it or is gonna be a big reveal at some point in the future?
1: I'll be sharing it on LinkedIn uh, when it's complete. Right now we're in the collection phase. So anyone who might be interested in contributing, please contact me or check me out on social media. I'm posting the information.
0: Brilliant, thanks for that. Alex. sounds really, really interesting. So one of the things that you, you said there about starting to think about the future and starting to think about you know what might happen post COVID really links nicely to the first question I've got for you which is what forces do you think are likely to change the role of women in society in the future
1: which technologies which forces for change forces sorry which forces well I think obviously the pandemic is um you know a major force it's actually a major event that's creating a lot of different driving forces, including technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to talk about one of our favorite topics, which is artificial intelligence or AI. We've written a lot of articles about that and talked about it a lot. Um, and I think that uh, the pandemic has created even more of a driving force, accelerated, as a lot of people have noted, the driving force of artificial intelligence. Um, I don't know if you heard that recently, you um, an, an algorithm, I guess. I don't know. I believe it was just you know, some sort of algorithm was able to detect, should I say, diagnose COVID in a patient based on listening to the cough of the patient. So it was totally uh, based on an audio file or whatever that was taken of people coughing. It was able to pick out the patients with COVID. So I think that speaks to an interesting Theme in AI that you and I have talked about a lot, you know, I'm really interested in, which is how it might supplement or enhance or in some way, you know, work in tandem with women's role in life. And I'm thinking of, you know, moms, I'm thinking of women as teachers, preschool teachers, as you know, you know, we hear a lot of coughs. (laughs) We hear a lot of coughs, but wouldn't it be cool if we could hold up our phone to a kid? Uh, that's coughing in school or in home or whatever. And it could tell us, oh, that's, that's a normal allergies cough or whatever, just a little allergic cough, hay fever, versus okay, that's serious, get them to the doctor. And um, that finding about the, the AI being able to, to diagnose the COVID reminded me of the whooping cough. You've heard mm-hmm. of whooping cough, yep. pertussis, right? It's been controlled by vaccines for you know quite some time. But the reason it's called whooping cough is due to the distinctive sound that doctors and surely mothers knew to look for. And I actually have a young relative who was diagnosed with whooping cough by a doctor who had recently been in the developing world, uh, working with you know uh, underprivileged communities, she this this relative kept going to the doctor, and no one could figure out what was wrong because no you know they they assumed she was vaccinated, so they assumed she didn't have whooping cough. It turned out that she did, and it took a doctor's ear, uh, you know, who had recently heard the actual whooping cough in the wild. Um, to be, to be able to diagnose it. So I thought that sort of, that AI idea that an artificial intelligence could help us, you know, keep our, our families healthy, safe, our students, um, you know, women tend to fall into teaching, nursing careers predominantly. So um, my, it could be a cool way to see AI drive our role differently.
0: Yeah. And one of the other things, I suppose, that that, that comes to mind are, are, are perhaps some of the, um, the social drivers that are changing the role of women in society. And Um, And one of the really prominent examples of that is the election, of course, of Kamala Harris to uh, vice president elect. What, What do you think that kind of event does for women in leadership roles in politics, but in enterprise as well, and particularly women of different races than we might normally see in those positions?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the election of uh, Biden-Harris and, you know, Vice President-elect Harris rising up in the, you know, executive branch is a great sign to our young women that, you know, there is a path for them. Forward, it's being forged, and it's up to them to keep going. Um, I think that it's it's a great sign for women in business um, because more experiences, life experiences, are going to be coming into the conversation, and I think that opens up a space for more diversity in all organizations, whether it's you know business or you know nonprofits or the higher education world, whatever. Um, Yeah, I think it's going to be a huge event. It's a landmark event that we can you know, we'll look back on and say there was the time before and after, you know, again, it really marks a moment. There's there's been a lot of speculation, hasn't there,
0: about, um, if we go back to COVID again, about how um, women in leadership positions, uh, positions in nation states, seem to have been able to create policy and strategy that's been more effective in handling the COVID pandemic. Why do you think that is, first of all? And and, and secondly, what does that tell us about the role that women might play in politics in terms of social policy, perhaps, in the future?
1: Yeah, you know, there were a lot of people who made that observation during the pandemic that it was Germany, New Zealand, these countries with very notable female elected leaders who really have weathered it quite well. Um, So I don't know what it is. I think a lot of people attribute it to, um, you know, emotional intelligence, that women tend to be encouraged to foster, you know, I don't know that it's inherent in women. I'm, I'm not convinced I want to make that kind of generalization, (laughs) but I think that it's those are skills that we're encouraged to nurture in ourselves. You know, we're taught, you know, to be more empathetic, to be caring. Those sorts of things are encouraged, whereas other things aren't um, because of the way gender roles are defined. But you know, I think we're seeing the benefit of that. And and I think for too long, equality movements have sort of looked at, well, let's not, you know, let's not highlight the skills that are uniquely feminine or women's skills we just want to have equality and i think it's a time to recognize that there there's you know there's good and bad in in uh demarcating certain skills as feminine or or masculine right there's it's a double edged sword when we do that but let's let's do extract the positive yeah. from that when we can and say that you know maybe it's motherhood maybe it's daughterhood <laughs> you know maybe it's just the life experience of women who you know regardless of whether they've been in caring roles or not um, to see the value of looking at the bigger picture and taking care of people. Um, I guess I'm just thinking of, you know, prime ministers in the COVID experience. You know, it's been a very, a more, a more caring form of leadership. Yeah, I would say.
0: And, and is, your, is your sense that that um, uh, exhibiting empathy by female leaders changes perhaps the attitude of male leaders that may work with them do you know what I mean is there you know is, is there some kind of positive impact on men that work with women in those kind of roles
1: I'd like to think so I mean I'd like to see that play out first yeah. I don't see evidence of it I mean I'm, I'm just going to be cynical and say men probably use it to their advantage to think oh, I can keep taking advantage of this person you know I, I've still got I'm still alpha you yeah. know I think that unfortunately I think uh, Jacinda Ardern said something very similar where, you know, kindness gets perceived as weakness. Right. It wasn't, didn't you have a quote very similar along those lines, like for too long, my empathy has been mistaken for, you know, lack of, of uh, assertiveness or whatever. And I think that, you know, I think that's where we are on that for, I think people still mistake kindness, empathy for someone who can be pushed around and, that's what needs to change. And one
0: of the things that we've done a lot of work on together and spoken about a a lot in a, in a fairly recent past is, is the notion of a very human future. So do you think the role that women play in the future beyond empathy, you know, just women's role generally in society is crucial to a more human future?
1: Definitely. I mean, we're half the population and, and, you know, we're very important to making sure that there are more of us to come next right yeah. so i th- i think we <laughs> you know, both t- got stake in that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think you know i was just, i'm reminded of some of the stuff i've looked at a, on um ectogenesis the artificial womb right yeah being able to produce new humans without, you know, women having to carry the, the pregnancy literally. And so, you know, it's those sorts of dystopian futures to me that where you start talking about, well, are women really necessary at all? You know, if we can replace their ability to reproduce with technology. Yeah, yeah, I think women are, are still necessary beyond their ability to produce children. We definitely have a part to play. So um, just just in terms of that sci-fi extreme, yeah. um, I, yeah i think we have a huge part to play in, in building the future and cl- and keeping it human and keeping it humanized because again it's the diverse perspectives that women can bring yeah uh, to organizations to long-standing social institutions where we haven't had the opportunity so far to bring the perspective there's a lot of promise in that and 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 how might technology do you think? Um,
0: enhance and enable that promise for women to take those roles into the future?
1: You know, I think that there are a lot of important technologies that are not quite being used for improving humanity. Hmm. You know, just to link it to um, a recent social problem, this is very, you know, US focused, but we have this huge problem where uh, our government has essentially, you know, separated these 500 plus children from their parents at the border, the migrant children. And, um, you know, I was just reflecting recently on why aren't we using like biometrics, facial recognition, artificial intelligence, blockchain, throwing every single technology resource that we have at this major problem that needs to be fixed. Um, So I feel like I don't know how much it has to do with women. I mean, this particular example does deal with families, but it seems like rather than using facial recognition to, pre- to be sure that shoplifters don't enter, uh, I think it was the Lowe's home improvement stores here in the U.S., right. I, I might be wrong, could be Home Depot, but one of the major home improvement chains had installed surveillance cameras in the stores so that people who had a a profile picture in police databases for shoplifting could be quickly identified the minute they walk in the store and yeah obviously businesses want to use it to make money but i think there's so many social problems that we could be investing these technologies in that could do better like facial recognition why could not we use that to you know identify homeless people and um you know track them and make sure that they occasionally get the medical care that our medicines or foods that they need, something like that. I guess that's, I think that would improve and benefit all of society. Uh, and that's how I would like to see these technologies being used. They're just kind of going to waste if we don't use them like that. It's interesting, isn't it? We start off with a conversation about
0: looking at the future of, of women in, in life, society and business. And actually what we find is we're talking about a conversation about a more human future across all of society. Um, And, uh, you know, we could talk about that for hours, but um, time is coming to an end. So, Alex, how can people contact you to learn more about your work? Because you're doing some really interesting stuff. So where can people find you?
1: Thank you. Well, I'm on social media, typically LinkedIn and Twitter. So you can find me under my name, Alexandra Whittington. Um, I'm also uh, consulting through my personal consulting firm, which is called Partners in Foresight. You can find Partners in Foresight on LinkedIn as well. And then on Twitter, my Twitter handle is Alexandra Forecasts with the number four casts. And um, yeah, please do look me up. And I'd love to hear from, you know, anyone who's interested in talking about the future and has, you know, anything to say about it, please, please feel free to reach out.
0: Alex, lovely to talk to you, Um, uh, really insightful and really provocative things I think we've spoken about over this uh, very short 15 minute period, but thank you so much for taking part.
1: Thank you.